was a great morning, guys. We, we had a ball because it wasn't us, it was you. And, uh, but it was fun. It really was. It, we, the thing that makes it great is we were talking about the things of the Lord, and it was just a, a marvelous time. And Jeff, in his prayer, summed it up so well, what two great guys they are. So praise the Lord for that. So thank you for letting us be a part of that. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11. The book of Hebrews, the only thing in dispute with the book of Hebrews is who wrote it. The church fathers, the councils, they all approved the book as worthy of being a part of scriptures. Uh, the only uh, debate was who wrote it. There were some church fathers that said it was definitely the Apostle Paul. That's because of some things that are said in the book about the believers and Peter and others. Uh, others say, no, it was Barnabas, Paul's best friend and partner in ministry. Others say, no, it was Apollos. Remember, Apollos is one of Paul's men that worked with him. But it doesn't matter who wrote it. The fact is, it's worthy of our consideration this morning. One of the things that it helps us to do is it helps us to, to take our eyes off of this world onto the next. Now, someone has said that uh, heaven is the most absurd idea that Christians can embrace. Usually the reason why it's absurd to others outside of the faith is because they don't understand how it can affect us now. What difference does it make today? That's what's important. People want impact right now. Well, imagine if you would being in a position in life and being a part of a society where you are being uh, questioned and you're being persecuted, where you are in a position where things aren't going well for you financially because of the economy and because of what's happening around you. There is turmoil. There is this challenge to your faith. Imagine what that would be like, and you would find yourself as one of the listeners as this epistle is being read. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, the Apostle Paul writes and says these things about the church. He says, you know what, you're struggling, but you need to stand up right now. And with that charge to stand up, he then goes on to tell them about examples of people that stood up in Hebrews chapter 11. So this morning, what I would like for us to do is to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. And as we look at those verses, we'll find three ways to simplify our lives with a view of heaven, with a view of heaven. Uh, look at verse 8, if you would, of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He obeyed and went. Abraham and Sarah are mentioned one-third of the time in chapter 11. They're pretty prominent characters. In the New Testament alone, Abraham is referenced over 70 times. He's that important to us as Christians. And what he does is he helps us to see that while we're living in this life here and now, we can simplify things by embracing a look towards heaven. And the first way to do that is to be obedient to be obedient. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed and went. Obeyed and went. He just left his home. In our house, my wife is our navigator. When we get into the car, she has the map. She knows how long it's going to take. She knows where we're stopping and uh, when we're going to get there. I can't even begin to imagine getting into the car with her and her saying to me, where are we going? And me saying, I don't know. She would say, well, find out. <laughs> That's what she would say. So we say, you need to know, you can't just go. But that's what Abraham did. He just went. He walks into Sarah and says, it's time for us to go. We're, we're leaving. We're going. And Sarah says, where are we going? And he says, I don't know. But he was obedient to what it is, what, what God said, how God spoke to him. And the word of the Lord came to Abraham. 
is something that is repeated over and over in the life story of Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Abraham did what the Lord said. That happens over and over if you take your time to read Genesis chapter 12 through 25. Over and over, Abraham listens and hears the word of God. And when God speaks, he moves. He's obedient. He's obedient. You see, God speaks to us. God speaks to us. Now, when we talk about that in the family, we understand what we mean by that. We're not talking about an audible voice. We're talking about a spiritual impression that is on our hearts to move us from one place to the next, to move us to do something. The impression of the Spirit of God moving in our hearts. It's not like there's an audible voice that happens. Uh, Abraham probably had an audible voice. There is a fearful thing for an audible voice. Can you imagine if God spoke audibly to us? Remember what it was for Isaiah? Isaiah, he, he, he talked about holy, holy is the Lord. And then he says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a sinner. He couldn't stand being in the presence and the sound of God's voice. He couldn't handle it. And I think sometimes that's what would happen to us. And so what God has done is he's provided for us his words in Scripture that help us to align our spiritual ears to what he's saying to us. You know, it was always amazing to me when, when we had little children. Now I have a 24-year-old and an 11-year-old. And, and when they were babies, it was always amazing to me how attuned to their sounds my wife was. You know, they could make a sound, and my wife would know what that sound meant. She was so attuned to what it was they were doing and, and how they were. She was just locked into that. And that's what is being encouraged here. We need to be spiritually in tune with what God is saying and what God is doing so that when he speaks and moves us, we're, we're, we're going. We're obedient. You say, well, how does that happen? How does that happen? If it's not an audible voice, how do I get this tuning done to me? Well, the way you do it is, uh, like it says in the book of Romans, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, you can't move with God without faith. If you try to, you, you, you're frightened by that. You're afraid. You want everything mapped out for you, every detail, and you're nervous. God, give me something more. But no, Abraham's saying, you know what? God spoke, and I did it, being spiritually attuned to the words of God. Imagine the difference in your heart and in your life. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You, you see, the place that he left behind was a, a nice place. He left behind Ur of the Chaldees, which was Mesopotamia, which was beautifully uh, enriched with fertile soil. There was a great amount of trading going on there. It was a prosperous area. And so when he left that place, it was a beautiful place that he left. And he moved by faith because he was obedient to God. It was purely an act of grace on God's part to speak to him and say, you know what, I want you, Abraham. And Abraham left. He moved. He did what God wanted him to do. And sometimes in our life, that's the reason we aren't obedient because we look at where we are and we think this is pretty good. And when God begins to move and impresses our hearts to do something differently, we say, you know what, this is pretty good where I am. I think I'll stay. And we end up staying in one place instead of doing what it is that God wants us to do. Instead of moving obediently, we stop. And we hear the words, but we don't listen and do what it is that God is asking us to do. My full-time job is teaching uh, school, and I teach seniors the first bell of the day. And it is a, a, a tumultuous time for seniors during the months of November and December when they're getting all of their college applications in. And it's amazing to me all the times what they, what they listen to, you know. 
where are, you, where are you thinking of going to college? That'll be the question. Oh, well, my dad wants me. My mom wants me. My grandpa's a huge fan of. And they begin to tell me all of these voices and all of these people that are talking to them and saying, you know, you ought to go here, you ought to do this. My coach wants me. I've got a teacher that says that this is the place to go. And you can imagine the confusion that can be building. The question should be asked, what does God want you to do? Where does God want you to go? You see, we eliminate the other voices and bring it down to one that we are in tune with, the words of God. What does he want from us? What does he want us to do? You see, not looking at what we have and thinking, boy, but instead looking to whom we serve and say, yes, I'll go, I'll follow. Obedient, obedient. There was a baseball player named Billy Sunday. He became a great evangelist, a great evangelist. Billy Sunday played for the Chicago White Sox and led the baseball, uh, National Baseball League in uh, stolen bases. He was quite an accomplished player. He came to know Christ, and when he came to know Christ, he tried to stay with his baseball guys, to hang out with those guys. He tried to stay in that group and, and do what they were doing. And he soon found that he couldn't. He soon found that what he needed to do was to, to separate himself and to do what God wanted him to do. And so one day, literally, he turns to his friends and he says, we've come to a parting of our ways. And he walked away from baseball and his baseball teammates and went on to serve God as an evangelist. You see, sometimes we are being held back. We are being held in place because instead of looking towards heaven and what God has for us, we look at our friends, our family, and the things that are here that hold us back. So the first way we simplify our lives with a look towards heaven is through obedience. The second way is found in verse 9. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. The second way that we do the simplification of a heavenly look is by being active, by being active. We're moving. Notice what happens here in verse 9. It says, by faith he lived in tents. He lived in tents. You see, he never had a house. He never had a place that he could call his own. The only piece of property Abraham ever owned was the burial site for his wife. That's the only piece of property he ever owned. You see, what's happening here is Abraham understood that the tent was temporary. He understood that what he was doing was moving for God's sake, being active. He wasn't putting down stakes. He was uh, allowing the tent to be mobile, to, to be able to move. And that's what happens to us sometimes. We forget that we should be living in a tent. You say, oh, great. Well, does that mean we all go to Dick's Sporting Goods after church and buy the biggest tent we can find and sell our houses and we all meet here in the church parking lot and set up our tents? No, you see, he's not talking about careless and irresponsible living. Instead, what he's doing is he's asking us to take inventory and ask, does attachment to this world hold you back? Hold you back. I love my house. I, I love to be able to go home at night. I love to be able to have a place to be. But what has our homes become? Have they become like museums where we're, we're collecting as much stuff as we can to, to show as many people as we possibly can what we've accomplished and what we've collected over time? Someone has said, is your home a landing spot or a launching pad? Is there home somewhere where you're landing and you're staying? Or is it a place where people come and go? We're not here forever. We're doing something else. If my home's gone, does that matter? 
You see, there is a temporariness to being active. We are not being held back. Are you bound by this world? Are you bound in place because of the house that you have, because of the the life that you have chosen, because of the things that you do? Are you being held in place? Or is there a sense of temporary? Is there a sense of movement, a, a sense that says, you know what, this is a tent. If we need to go somewhere else, let's go. Let's do it. Because that might be what God wants for you. A house, a home, a tent. What is it? What is it doing? Are you able to be active because of it? God is so good to us in giving us so much. But sometimes the much is what holds us down. The much is what keeps us from doing and being active in what God does. I got an email from a friend, and we exchanged emails about what's happening in life. My friend emailed and said, I'm doing a a, a Bible study tonight on obesity. (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's brave. But then they went on to say, obesity of the Christian. And the obesity of the Christian who has taken in so much that they're not active doing anything else because they're so sedentary in their spiritual life. They have so much stuff. I thought, what a great example, right? In our spiritual lives, we take in and we take in and sometimes we end up sitting and not doing anything instead of being active for God, which is what Abraham is trying to remind us of. He says, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents who lived in tents. You see, the thing about Abraham is he knew who he was. You see, he was not a fugitive. Fugitives are running from home, right? They're running away from home. Uh, A vagabond doesn't have a home. A stranger is looking for a home. But a pilgrim is heading for home. And that's what Abraham was. He was a pilgrim who knew that it was a temporary place that he would found himself and that soon he would be where God wanted him to be. Obedient, active in the things that God wants. Look at verse 10. It says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The secret of Abraham's simple understanding was verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, we've heard the admonition, don't be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. We we understand that, don't we? We don't want to live with this pie in the sky mentality. Do you remember the old song that used to go in the sweet by and by? I had a friend that would say, well, we're living in the nasty now and now, so you can't think of the sweet by and by all the time. And there's truth to that, right? But please understand something. It's impossible to be of any real earthly good unless we are heavenly minded. You see, unless we understand that this is a temporary place, unless we understand that we are passing through as pilgrims onto another place, we we miss the point of why it is that God has put us here. The place is heaven. Are you looking forward to being there? Are you excited about going to heaven? Are you excited about being a part of that place? Some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, I I just, I can't go today. (laughs) I've got things to do. Uh, I've got uh, graduation. I've got open houses. I've got a wedding. I'm just, I just can't go yet. So God, will you put it off for a while? But you see, that's not the attitude that Abraham has. Abraham has the attitude, you know, I'm only here temporarily. I'm moving on. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do something more. This is a temporary stop that I find myself in, and it is impossible for us to be what we need to be if we are tied to this world and not ready to move on to the next. Are you willing to let go and to serve God in an active way? 
Look at verse 11. It says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, verse 12, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand of the seashore. In verse 11 and 12, what happens is we have this real-life example of what it means to have a heavenly look. If we are able to look towards heaven and understand that this is a temporary thing and that God has a marvelous, thing, a marvelous plan for us, all of a sudden when God comes to you and says, you know what, you're as good as dead, but I want you to be the father of many nations. And you say, okay. But you see, if you're locked into an earthly look, if you're locked into what this world says for us, you look at yourself and you say, that's not possible. I can't do this. I don't care what God says. No, I'm not going to be the father of many nations because, look, I'm an old man and I can't do this. And when Sarah laughs at the news, you laugh along with her and say, you're right, Sarah, this is a joke. But you see, what happens with Abraham is he is able to see beyond. He is able to see beyond to God who is so capable and able to do so much. And he says, well, of course, God. Of course, I'll do that. By faith, trusting, believing. You see, the, the Apostle Paul understood the, the look of heaven, didn't he? He says, I press toward the goal to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. His eyes are looking towards heaven. He is active in this world because he knows it's only temporary. He knows he can do so much because the next world is coming. The final thing that helps us to simplify our life so that we can have a heaven we look is we're focused. We're focused. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Please notice the, the promise did not fail, nor did they lose them. Instead, this is a statement of how they lived. They lived on promises. They lived on promises. That's tough. That's tough. Within the last month, I was at a funeral. And at the funeral, the question comes what? Why? Especially in this circumstance, it was a guy, uh, he was my uncle, and on the, the night before he died, he watched the uh, NCAA uh, basketball game, and he and his wife, as they were going to bed, talked, and uh, my uncle said, you know, I think I'll sleep in, and the wife said, that's a great idea, I'm going to sleep in too. The next morning she gets up, she's fixing breakfast, and she's thinking he's sleeping a little bit too long. She goes in, and he has passed from this life to the next. Sudden, surprising. And then at the funeral, what happens? Three adult children grown, whose father had been the world to them and the glue that held their family together, all they could say is, why? 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 I have no explanation, but I have this promise. I have this promise that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you have the gift of eternal life. I have this promise that we have these words to comfort ourselves with, the promises of God that says, you know what? That one that has died, you're left behind, but I have the comfort of my spirit and my word that will help you through this. Promises, no explanation. I, I couldn't come up with one. But promises, we have lots of those. And Abraham says, you know what? You need to be focused on the promises instead of always trying to live on explanations. And he reiterates this in, in verse 13. He says, And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. We are pilgrims. We get it. We know that we are. We know that this is only temporary. We know that we should be looking towards heaven. 
and living on the promise that we will be with him someday, allowing that to wrap our hearts and minds. You see, those who fail to extend their view to heaven will have their eyes on things of the world and they'll begin to wonder why they're not happier. It's called the disease of more. You ever heard that before? It's a statement that was made famous by Pat Riley. Pat Riley is now the president of the Miami Heat in basketball. But at one time, he coached the Los Angeles Lakers, and they won the NBA championship. And, and, and when they won the championship, the following year, things just came apart. The team failed horribly. They did not achieve. And he wrote in his book, Showtime, he wrote this. He said, it was the disease of more. He said, instead of looking to defend a championship, he said they were looking out for themselves and seeing what more they could get, how they could get more money, more opportunities. Instead of being in the gym, hanging out, they were in Los Angeles hanging out with Jack Nicholson. You've seen him on the sideline of those games. It's the disease of more. We want more. You see, when we're looking at this world and we're not happy, we begin to say, you know what, I need more stuff. But you see, Abraham is saying, and they admitted they were aliens and strangers on this earth. The last thing you need if you're living in a tent is more stuff. But instead, what you need to do is go outside and make sure that you're ready to move and do what God wants. Focused on the promises. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 said, People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have, hurt, they would have had opportunity to return. You see, what he's saying there is he's saying, you know what? If they had been concentrating on the past and what was behind, they would have gone back. And Abraham, why not? Why not go back? You know what? Instead of being in this tent and being on the move and on the go, let's go back to Ur where we can settle back and have a nice house and we'll live in a nice place. They could have gone back. But you see, Abraham understood that that is behind him. And instead he was looking at what was before him. And what was before him was a city, the city of God. And we find that out in verse 16. In verse 16, it says this, Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. The behind is behind. The before is what we're shooting for. We're shooting for that city, that city of God the one that he has prepared for us, the place that he has. And the marvelous thing is, when we have that focused look of faith on the, the place that God wants, it says God is not ashamed to be called their God. It's as though God looks at us and he says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm proud of you. I'm thrilled with what it is that you do and accomplish for my sake. When I was in college, I traveled to the Philippines. We played basketball and did some evangelism. It was a grueling trip. We went for uh, 35 days and 29 days and played uh, a ton of games. I went twice. It was a grueling time. The, the weather in the Philippines is, is brutal. The, the summer, the heat, the humidity, it's, it's terrible, you know, especially when you're, you're coming just into it. But the Philippines is a beautiful place, beautiful country. And we would go and we would, we would pass out tracks before the game into the, to the fans because we were Americans. We drew great crowds. I mean, they loved to come and see us play. And we went to this one place, and that's what we did. We walked into the stands. We're handing out these tracks. Then we would play a half of basketball, and then at halftime, we would share testimonies and sing some songs. Then we'd play the second half, and then after the game, we'd try to mingle with the fans and share Christ. It was really a great experience. But this one place uh, we went to, we'd, we'd pass out the tracks beforehand, and the people weren't real warm and receptive. 
we got down, we played in the game, and the game was brutal. The players that we were playing against, they, they were smaller than us, but they just were physically beating us, and it was, it was brutal. At halftime, we began to share our testimony, and while we're sharing our testimonies, they start kind of booing, and you could just sense they're talking among themselves in the stands. And, and we're talking about a crowd of about 3,000 people. And we start to sing, and they started singing some other song and trying to drown us out, and it was really kind of an a awkward situation. Second half, we played, and it was brutal just being physically beat to get death. We win the game, and as our custom normally was, we would go up into the stands and, and you know, try to share Christ and hand out some more tracks, but not on this occasion. The, the people from the church started to surround us, kind of herd us together and say, okay, we're leaving. We're getting out of here. And as we're being marched out of this place where we were playing the game, we're marched out, and there are little bonfires all over the place. And the bonfires were the tracks that we had handed out. And when we started to get the sense, well, we're, we're, we're really not welcomed here. We get on the bus, and when we get on the bus, we, we start riding, and they, they say, we're not spending the night here. We're leaving. We can't stay. It's that much danger. Well, you know, I'm a I'm 17, 18-year-old kid, and I'm scared to death. I'm thousands of miles away from my home. I didn't like this idea of us leaving. There, there's 10 of us and a, a couple of adult chaperones, and, you know, we're nervous. We're, we're frightened by this, and the bus is rolling, and all of a sudden one guy starts talking about, you know what? We're going to be going home pretty soon. I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to hang out with my brother. I'm going to be eating chocolate cake. And all of a sudden, people started sharing these stories. Yeah, going home is going to be great. So we'll be able to, 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 to sleep in my bed. It'll be wonderful. There's no mosquitoes in my house. I've, I've, got, I've got air conditioning. And we started talking about the comforts of, of going home and how great that was. And we had the, the, the leader of the team. He, he carried a big bag, and in that bag were all of our passports and all of the plane tickets. And I remember him holding up that bag and going, we get to go home, guys. Don't worry. And you know what? The next two weeks, we were so energized and we were so ready to play and to do what it was we needed to do because we knew that it was a temporary thing. We're on our way home after this. And sometimes when life begins to beat us down, we forget this is temporary. We get to go home. We get to go home. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Without it, we have nothing to say. And so this morning we ask that you take that word and implant it into our hearts so that we are able to understand that the gift of your son Jesus Christ and embracing that gift by faith is a starting point. And that, Lord, we need to attune our ears to your words so that we can be obedient, so that we can be active, so that we be focused on our heavenly home. We ask, Lord, that you be pleased with what we do and how we behave as we seek to simplify our lives with a look towards heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a great week.